Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe. Welcome to yet another episode on the Carmen Murray Show. I am super excited about today's episode because I'm pretty much very curious about how do we actually search for jobs in a creative way? How do we adapt and create personal brands? Furthermore, is how do we become more adaptable to the needs of the job market, but also simultaneously, how do we get discovered? I'm joined by two amazing ladies, very charismatic, that's going to give their inputs to help you in your career reinvention. So first of all, I would like to introduce Deborah Harting, and then I'd also like to introduce Vanessa Roth. And without diminishing their reputations by not giving them the full scope of what they've done in their careers, I would like to start with Deborah to tell us more about what she does for a living. And then also, Vanessa, if you can take us through that journey. Oh, thank you so much, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me on the show and for this opportunity. I am an author and um, some people call me a global HR thought leader, which is very weird for me because I'm really just a nice suburban mom from Balthasarden Park. And I work with business and HR leaders to create really thriving cultures and kick-ass teams. Love. Awesome. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, ladies. I appreciate it. So my speciality lies in the recruitment and the sourcing of talent space. So what I do is I pretty much divide my time between training recruitment teams and talent acquisition specialists on how to find the best talent out there. And also what I do is I work hard myself to find the best talent from all over the world and I move talent pretty much all over the globe, which is really interesting. And I, just to let you know that I actually specialize in the tech space mainly. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Oh my gosh, you know what? After this conversation, all the friends of mine that's looking for new jobs are going to call me. Can I please have an introduction and <laughs> you find me another job? But anyway, <laughs> so so I'm going to just address the elephant in the room. What on earth is going on in these times? I'm observing so many toxic cultures. I'm observing the word empathy flying around, coaching happening in corporates, yet people are treated with no respect. They're working through the clock. The office has moved into the house. People can't separate themselves from their work environment and their family homes. And it's just one big mess. And people are really losing their sanity. And there's not a lot of compassion. We're also seeing a lot of people losing so many people. Just last week, one of my friends, his wife lost eight family members. And then four people have been lost on his side from friends, elderly people or people that are more advanced or who can't find jobs or committing suicide. Let's just address this conundrum that's currently playing off in the workplace. Maybe, Vanessa, you can start. Awesome. And you know what? I, I agree with you, Carmen. It, it is difficult out there. It really and truly is. 
You know, one of the things that we're noticing over here is that talent is actually being headhunted from a global perspective. So what we pretty much saw from a South African context is that everyone who could and wanted to immigrated. But those that stayed behind, you know, either they didn't have the right passport or there were family members here are now starting to work for international companies because people have realized that your workforce can actually be situated anywhere. So we're seeing that the scarce skills are actually becoming more of an issue. But then on the other hand, we also talk about, you know, the people that are battling to find the jobs. And what this tells us is that there's such a skill shortage in South Africa, but not only in South Africa, it's a global issue. So my best advice is to people is to start looking at growing your personal brand. And I know we'll get on to chatting about that later and to start upskilling yourself because there are definitely roles and positions available if you have those skills. And I just want to comment on what you were saying about, you know, from a company perspective, about how companies are just throwing the word empathy around and people are now being forced to work from home. There are companies out there that are doing this well. And, I, and I'm not just Pollyanna or playing devil's advocate. They really and truly are. And I think it comes down to the individual to find those companies that have embraced the work from home model, understand that it's now not even a work-life balance or a work-life blend or a work-life hybrid. It's basically just work, life, family, pets, and just the way that it goes. And the companies that aren't embracing this are going to be losing people at a rapid rate. Yeah, I think, you know, because I work in the culture and leadership space specifically, you know, Carmen, you, you are saying what is going on. And the sad thing is, this isn't new to me. I've been seeing this happening, the, the toxic workplaces. I've been seeing this for years and years. It's just been augmented now because of the global pandemic. And, you know, like you say, empathy is being kicked around. It's almost like a buzzword now. Mm. You know, accountability is another one. And I think most people truly don't really know what it means. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was interviewed for a podcast and I, I used this analogy and I said, you know, we need to stop saying that we're all in the same boat because we're not. We're all in the same storm. And some people are in a rubber dinghy that's busy sinking and some people are chilling on a five-star cruise liner, you know? Yeah. And it's really cool for me because I've seen that analogy being used so often and other people quoting it back to me, you know, so that's really cool. I think people really get that picture. They understand we're all in the same storm. It's tough for all of us. That's the thing with empathy and, and bringing empathy to life is to really put yourself in the other person's shoes. And that's not something that people do. You know, work from home sounds kind of cool uh, when you're an executive and you have a study or a home office. This is a, a spot that you've had set up your entire life. I've worked with teams where some people are sitting in a one-room apartment in New York balancing their laptop on their laundry basket. Mm. You know, so I think empathy, we need next-level empathy um, when we're talking about people working from home. And like Van said, it's work-life integration. We've abandoned the phrase balance because there is no balance. You're not, you know, are you working from home or are you living at work? And, and where do you draw that line? And I think that's a really big challenge. And all this has done is it has augmented it. But like the message says, there's companies that are truly getting it right. And I think the message, my approach, if you're a business or HR leader, you can fix this within your organization. Mm. If you're a job seeker, you need to approach your job search from a different perspective. And you need to ask some questions and do some research about the workplace culture 
and about their approach. And Van and I were speaking last week about companies embracing work from home. There are actually companies, especially in the US and the UK, that are remote first. Like they're abandoning office space. The real estate market is crashing in certain places because they've gone fully remote. And mm. if you've got a work from home policy, you're not fully remote. You know, you're still trying to get people back into the office and you're still trying to hold their hand. And I think also just realizing that you can't recreate the office environment at home. It's the same. I thought of homeschooling my kids before the pandemic, thank heaven. And the quickest thing, that, the first thing that I realized is, A, I'm not a teacher, and B, I can't recreate their classroom environment at my dining room table. Mm. And I think we all need to start really grasping that as well. Yes, and I mean, there's so many balls in the air, like I'm trying to grab and a few are falling down and it's really hard for people to navigate through this. And I just want to go back to your point in terms of we are not in the same boat, but we're definitely in the same storm. If we look, for example, there are people that are employed, some of them happy, some of them are unhappy. But the reality is people have psychological capital when they are employed, like they have resilience, hope, optimism, there are things for them to look forward to. And obviously, organizations are trying to work hard on building on these different types of resources. But then there's also the psychological distress. So the psychological distress is caused by people that are unemployed. If we look at the current unemployment rate, I think it's sitting on 31% currently, not to mention that about 63% of that unemployment rate is people between the ages of 20 and 34, which is our youth, which is a massive problem. But this problem mm. existed way before COVID. As you say, it's just being exposed and augmented. Um, but now if we, if we look at that, how can we almost take these people that are unemployed and help build self-efficacy, confidence, optimism, hope, and resilience. Because there is a study, I can't remember exactly, but there is a study that proves that when people have the wrong mindset, when they apply for jobs, the chances are they're not going to get that job because they don't have that psychological capital. So what what do you guys recommend to to almost inject people with, with that psychological capital? Carmen, it's, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you are 100% correct. I have interviewed so many people during my career and you can see the people who've been retrenched. There's no self-confidence there. They don't, they've almost like they've forgotten how to interview and they've forgotten how to ask a question. So my advice around that is that you've got to get your mindset right before you go into the interview process. And I completely understand that that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. I mean, if you're not working, you're not bringing in a salary, are you putting food on the table for your family? How are you supposed to interview well when you have all of those stresses on your mind? So one thing that I would recommend to these people is to employ the services of, you know, a life coach, a business coach. Um, I work a lot as a career brand specialist where I help people with their online presence and teach them how to use LinkedIn a lot better so that you're standing out from the crowd. But the unfortunate thing is, is that if you've been retrenched, you're watching your pennies, you're not always going to be able to afford these kind of services. So what I do encourage people to do then is that do a lot of research. There are so many videos on YouTube where people put out content for free, where you can watch and it's almost like self-help videos to help you to interview better, to create that more positive mindset. Mm. And I'm also an, an incredibly big believer in, you know, healthy body, healthy mind. Even if you just go out and you walk for half an hour a day, mm. um, you get your endorphins going. 
Don't, you know, fall into the trap of eating unhealthily, feeling slovenly, you know. Now's your time. You've got extra time on your hands. Walk, get out in the garden, do stuff, you know, experiment, eat healthily. And all of those things, I believe, are going to have a positive impact and they don't necessarily need to cost money. So in terms of of free resources that that Vanessa is mentioning as well, I'm very, very fortunate. I just finished a project with Giraffe. It is a South African um, job seeker platform, Giraffe Like the Animal. Everything is free. So we've done all of these little micro-learning courses. Everything from understanding your personality and what kind of career is the, you know, you're best suited for to how to do your CV, um, what questions you can expect in an interview, how to answer those questions. Everything to how to behave in the workplace and how to manage your money and when you should get a credit card and, you know, why you shouldn't have store credit. So we've done this whole comprehensive micro-learning program specifically aimed at job seekers and specifically aimed at that demographic, Carmen, that you just mentioned, your 20 to 34-year-olds. And so the the website is zero-rated, so it's not going to cost people data to go to giraffe.co.za and it's not going to cost them data to learn. All they need to be able to do is read and apply what we're helping them with there. And I think that, you know, when you start aligning with who you are and you've got a clear understanding of where you should be looking and what you should be looking for, confidence starts to come with that. Mm. And, you know, you have a little bit more confidence as well when you when you know what to expect in an interview and we're telling you how to dress and what, you know, if you're running late, what you should do, like all of these little things that we're really hoping is going to make a difference to millions of job seekers, specifically in South Africa. And then we're actually also releasing the material um, under a Creative Commons license. So the content will be free globally for any organization to use. I love that. I think it's so important. And, you know, I think it's very challenging for people right now. I, I have a few friends that has applied for very high executive positions and, you know, ha- meeting your, your team for the first time, being interviewed online, not being able to meet them. And some of my friends have never met their teams and they have to manage these people in this environment. And it's just a very, very different world to navigate through. And I think it's so important to almost have this toolkit to understand your personality. I mean, like, I don't know, like if you have these Zoom meetings, you can pin a person and you can actually watch their facial expressions and you can see, okay, this person I need to focus on, they don't look happy. <laughs> um, or th- this is pers- maybe the person that's going to drive the conversation a lot more that you can read their body language better. But I think also a lot of people feel that disconnect from the people that they would normally have in the work environment. What's your views on that? So I think people are feeling disconnected, very, very much so. Um, but I very much agree with you. And I'm actually going to, in our in our Hindi Job Research Phase Masterclass, I'm going to be telling people exactly how they can actually speed read personality types and adjust their communication style accordingly. So that's a very valuable skill to have. But I think in terms of feeling disconnected, you know, there's so many tools and there's such amazing tech out there, plugins on WhatsApp, on Slack, on Teams to show recognition, to give feedback. There's there's an awesome plug-in for teams called Donut, which randomly allocates you someone to have coffee with. So even if it's via teams, it'll randomly allocate, you know, you and you and Vanessa. And maybe you don't get to interact a lot and it's 30 minutes of your week and you get to just chat. And the leaders that I work with, we very much encourage them to have, you know, a 15 minutes period a day to speak to one team member 
and to speak to them about everything except work. I think that's very, very important. Mm. Talk about what you're watching on TV, but talk about everything but work, you know, and don't do it on Zoom or Teams. Do it on a different platform so that it doesn't feel like work. I love that. So, so I just want to clarify something there that if Carmen and I were ever to meet for a coffee date, I'm sure it would soon turn into a wine date. So I just wanted to put out that disclaimer. Yes, I yes. Can oh, well, that. Yes, Vanessa. <laughs> we're having a family <laughs> meeting tonight. Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted is to say around that and from like a feeling disconnected is that I'm actually quite horrified about it is that every time I get called into a meeting so I met with one of our large banks on Friday and I popped into a call with all the heads of the tech space and not one person out of 20 people on a team's call put their video on mm. and I must admit I was amazed at that because being an online trainer and training all over the world I insist that people put their videos on because first of all, for me, for the trainer, standing up and talking to a blank screen ain't no fun. Okay. And also I want to see people's reactions. I want to still see those light bulb moments go on. That's why I'm a trainer. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to empower people and I want to see me empowering people because it charges me up. So what I'm saying is that you've got to make sure that in all of your meetings, you're insisting that you have video on. And no, I don't care that there's people in the background or that you're in a coffee shop or that you're in your pajamas or that you're having lunch or you've got the cats on your lap because trust me, I've seen it all. <laughs> I think that it, it is so helpful for you to um, form a much better personal connection with someone. And I literally can spend my entire day on, on Zoom meetings. I mean, I, I think I start at six tomorrow and finish at half past 10 tomorrow. And I start with literally meetings from New Zealand side to state side. And I think that the better meetings are definitely with the videos on and also allowing just that five minutes of chit chat just to get to know the person first before you launch into business. I think that that's becoming more and more important. And another thing which I've been doing this year, which I recommend for everyone, I've set up a, um, a diary scheduler. So I use Calendly and people can book my time mm. and I restrict them to half an hour because it's amazing how much you get done in half an hour compared to an hour where people just tend to waffle on. So mm. I don't believe that meetings need to be an hour when they're online. Half an hour or less is effective. And we need meeting-free days, I think. I, I really do believe meeting-free days need oh, to exist. Absolutely. And, and so many companies are, are doing that. Mm. Um, the, the other, I kept on getting emails back from a company on a Wednesday, and I was like, what happens on a Wednesday that I always get a response? And then she actually said to me, we're having a meeting-free Wednesday. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really taking off by storm. So, um, Deborah, tell me what is happening in the job market? Because obviously, a lot of people have received a reduction in, in their salary. So maybe a 70 or 60% reduction. Some people are encouraged to start side hustles. And there's like this imbalance because of the economic shocks due to COVID. So what is happening in the actual job market? Unfortunately, that is happening, yes. Um, but it's, it's very weird. And, and, you know, the next is seeing it as well. And it's a global trend. So as much as we're seeing certain industries really suffering, like hospitality, for instance, where we're seeing a contraction in terms of, you know, just reduction globally of the number of jobs and just the industry kind of shrinking. We're also simultaneously seeing other industries blooming and advertising more roles. And, you know, again, the tech space, obviously, is the space that Vanessa is, is very familiar with. The tech space is always blooming, and, and the brilliant thing there is that you can get a blue-chip tech job with an international employer, and you can do it from your house in South Africa. 
So that's really, really exciting. Another industry that we're seeing that's really, really growing is your financial services. So specifically insurance, banking, those, those industries, they actually are booming and growing. And we're also seeing a little bit of growth in the marketing and the kind of the digital marketing in that space. So it's not all doom and gloom. Recruitment has definitely picked up from what it was, say, you know, June of 2020 to what it is now. There's, there's more happening. Companies are hiring again. But, and I think Vanessa is, is, is more equipped to speak to this. What I'm seeing, my husband is a corporate recruiter. So I, I hear a lot of interviews and a lot of calls all day. And what I'm seeing is that people are scared as well. It's almost like, um, you were talking about psychological capital and, and, and currency. I've got a job and it's paying me well and I don't want to take a chance going to a new company because if trouble starts, I'm going to be the last in and the first out. So we are finding some really good candidates are scared to make a move to a new employer. Mm. Yeah. I must admit, I echo what Debbie has to say. I've been down to the industries and everything. It, it really is true. But I just want to you know, tackle this uh, question from an employee's perspective, and that is that what's becoming more and more important is that employees need to work on the employee brand because that's what attracts people to them. And I understand not everyone's mm. Amazon, not everyone's Google. You know, We're working with a lot of small companies, and you've got to be putting your best foot forward on social media. And one thing that's taking a lot of companies too long to realize, bearing in mind that you know next month we've been living through this pandemic for a year, is that if they're not 100% remote first, they're actually going to be on their back foot. So, for example, I've got a company now that I'm looking to recruit for, and they've said, yeah, sure, everyone can work from home. But in 2022, when we open our new offices, everyone's going to be in the office four out of five days a week. And I was like, you can't start someone on a remote first and then insist they're coming into the office, you know, four days out of five. Mm. It doesn't work like that anymore. So where before in the tech space, and I don't know what it is about these developers, but I think they like to sit at home and code in their underpants, which is a bad visual image, but see if you can get it out of your head now. But for them, it was always like, no, I'm not changing jobs because I've got a job where I can work from home. And that was always very important to that sector. But now every company says you can work from home. You can be based anywhere in the world. And now we need something else. What else are you going to offer these people? And I think that that's a really important aspect which we need to start considering. So what we're saying is, is that, you know, offering people a remote first position is really not something that's special anymore. We need to start thinking about the benefits that we are offering these candidates in order to entice them to come and work for our organizations. It's an employer brand thing. And, and from an HR perspective and a marketing perspective, we're seeing, and I mean, we've seen this for the past few years, an increased focus on employee experience and engagement. Mm. So everything from hiring through to retiring, that companies are starting to understand that they're starting to use marketing um, skills and tricks a lot more and realizing that your employee, there's segments within your, your employee base as well. You know, your 22-year-old your university graduate needs different benefits than what I do as a 45-year-old married mother of two, you know. So hyper-personalization of those benefits. In, in business, we often talk about, you know, what's your unique selling proposition or unique sales point, whatever, you know, your USP. And more and more employers need to start understanding that as well. So as much as Vanessa is talking about creating a strong personal brand as a candidate 
and being on social media and being found by people. It's just as important if you are a business or HR leader that you're working on your employer brand Mm. because you're not going to attract the right people if you've got a crappy brand that is stuck in the 80s. You're not going to attract top talent people or you're going to attract them and then they're going to leave really quickly because they're going to realize that what you said in the interview versus what they found when they started working doesn't gel. Yeah, it's like that um, Bill Bernbach says, a principle is not a principle if it doesn't cost you money. And I think at the end of the day is that organizations, as, as well as we, we really enjoy the fact that some brands are really good at creating the external environment of culture and what it really looks like, I think it's also very important to practice what you preach to live by your values and to make sure that you have a healthy um, culture because that by word of mouth that's making its rounds now more than ever, people do a lot of research before they decide to move to a different company. It's not like they now just, oh, this is a great company because, you know, they're global or I could have a lot of personal growth here. People actually call people, why did you leave um, this organization? What was the problem there? What is this person like? And I mean, in the days when, when I, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, but in the days when I used to apply for jobs, I always used to try and find out from the people that's worked there and boy oh boy I'm good at networking so I'll get my information or get a good good at getting my information I'm almost like an FBI investigator I'm also a little bit of a, a a little digital spy if I can put it that way I'm always looking out what's going on and trying to pick up my information and I think it's important for brands to definitely work on their external environment but also their internal environment completely people talk as you say and, and then lucky people. And I think that's also why it's important to have a robust program as an employer. Mm. Um, but understand that people talk. And from a cultural perspective, you know, Netflix has got this amazing rule, no brilliant jerks, which really means that they don't care how great you are at your job. If you're a nightmare to work with, that's not going to be tolerated. They will kick you out because they realize that it costs them so much in terms of low productivity, absenteeism, employee turnover when they've got a toxic manager. So I think if more companies could just start really embracing that philosophy of no brilliant jerks, it would also make a big difference. Mm. It's a difficult one. I love one, that. Right? I love that too. <laughs> <laughs> because if I can just in- interrupt that one, because, you know, so many companies, like especially when the narcissist bosses that you find, they are always good at their jobs, but they always throw everybody else under the bus. And they tend to stay and get promoted all the time. And it's a difficult one because some businesses believe in keeping people that that are good for the business because their value systems are based on how much money they make, not on true values and, you know, brain power and in, in making sure that people are truly content and living a truly healthy life within. I mean, that's where you spend most of your time within the organization. Completely. There's actually very interesting research that I refer to in my book. And, you know, I talk about this all the time because I live this stuff. And in 2012, Google started this project called Project Aristotle to figure out what makes a really great team. And, you know, they obviously this took a couple of years for them to now run this project and to look at all the different variables. And what came out of this was that there's really two things that make a business work, two main pillars. There is the quantitative stuff which is the stuff that keeps the shareholders happy. And that's where your narcissists and your brilliant jerks do well because they are the best salesperson, they are the top bits. Their numbers always look great, okay? 
But then, on the other hand, there's the qualitative stuff that keeps employees happy mm. and that keeps teams healthy and functioning and that keeps your employee engagement up and your staff turnover and activism low. And what you need to find in an organization, and, and when you're a hiring manager, you need to be so careful these days who you hire into your team because it's a little ecosystem, you know? And yeah. if you introduce the wrong element into that ecosystem, you could actually kill off the entire thing. So it's very important. And if anyone who's listening wants to go and read a little bit about it, Project Aristotle and, and, and what all they, they learned from this and how important the qualitative stuff, the employee experience, the culture, the psychological safety, the, the just putting people first, how important that stuff is. And that stuff actually endures long after the profit first approach. I love that. I just want to comment on that because I just want to mention something here. As we all know that there's no I in team, but there is an A for asshole. So <laughs> this is something that we need to remember and uh, and take note of. But I think just talking and, and touching on what Deb said and then Carmen, what you started off with around mental health is that what we've realized with COVID and everyone now working from home is that everyone's learning much more about everyone else. I mean, I've spoken to people and they say that they feel uncomfortable because people are almost checking out their house behind them and they kind of like judge where do they fit in from like a socioeconomic perspective. And we've always said, and we've been saying this for years in the HR space, that your people must be able to bring their whole souls to work. Nothing should be hidden. They should be able to feel comfortable. And what's happening is that even the people who haven't felt comfortable are doing that are being forced to do that. So, I mean, another situation, I spoke to a friend of mine in Cape Town who's gay. So his partner's walking around, and not necessarily everyone in the office knew that he was gay, but it's quite weird for a man in his mid-40s to be living with another man, but he's often in the background when someone's working from home. And he said that was really quite something for him to get used to. So I think that what is happening is that, yes, you get these brilliant people who do well, but everyone in the team is affected by the way that we are working. And everyone, even though they are still performing, is feeling more vulnerable than they were in the past, not necessarily down to, you know, that arsehole teammate, but because of the situation that they've been forced into. So I think it goes a lot deeper than, you know, just having these these pockets of, should I say, idiots standing out. Everyone is kind of mm. feeling a little bit insecure at the moment, which which that one person in the team could actually be even more disruptive if that person in the team is already feeling vulnerable. I think what is challenging our conventional idea, which which for many years, you know, working in the HR space, I've known to be complete nonsense, is that idea that you can leave your personal life at, at home. That whole facade that, you know, I mean, I'm in my school, so, so I've, you know, I grew up in and, and I worked and I, I've been working for like a good 25 years. So the changes that we've seen from like when we all used to wear suits to work, it was almost like the suit of armor. And when you walk through those office doors, the assumption was that you needed to leave behind all your personal stuff. But fortunately, as, as thinking, you know, has evolved years, coming to understand that that's impossible. And that is where the thing comes about letting people bring their whole self to work. And that's really where psychological safety comes in. Like Van says, this person is maybe not closeted, but they're also maybe not super out. And they don't know how it's going to be received at work. And stuff like that indicates that there is a lack of psychological safety. Um, when people are scared 
when their kid runs in the background or the cat jumps on the table or their same-sex partner walks behind them in, in a shot, you know? We, we, there's so much that we need to work on from a, from a humanitarian, from a humans at work perspective, I think. Mm. Um, there's a lot that we need to work on. We don't need more training on productivity techniques. We need more training on empathy and compassion and just being truly human and meeting people where they are. Yeah, I truly, I truly believe in that. And, and I read an article recently that almost said that you need to bring in comedy in, into your meetings. You need to start bringing humor into your meetings just to get people to, to release a little bit of laughter and endorphins in the environment. I think everybody is just feeling so tense. I'm an empath, so I can feel energy around me and all the people I'm interacting with all day long. It doesn't matter if it's a client or an employee or a supplier, I can just feel the tension. And I think sometimes it's just nice to just break that ice and just have a little laugh here and there. You know, take yourself a little bit lightly um, through the process. But just to add to what um, you were saying previously, like obviously this massive shift is happening and obviously the tech world has been very much used to or accustomed to, to working remotely. For some people, it's very new, but also we have a big digital divide within South Africa um, mm. and the African continent. Just because you have a mobile phone doesn't mean that you have access to the internet. Some people have eight people living in a home, have access to the internet. They have maybe 10 gigs of data, but they have no place, as you mentioned, that incident in New York, um, where people can actually express themselves in a work environment. These people are also looking now at ways of how they can develop new skills. Some of them are not used to digital. With anxiety, there's no clarity. So you're anxious because you're currently sitting maybe in a role where you need to change. You don't have access to the internet. You're living in a very small home with the rest of your siblings. And now you need to reinvent yourself out of this box in order for you to develop skills as quickly as possible. I call it instant skills. There's this massive trend happening online where people are starting to look at how they can get a qualification as quickly as possible to actually land a job. How do you see this scenario playing off? Because it is, if you don't have access to the internet and you don't have digital skills, it kind of jeopardizes your career. So, Carmen, I completely agree. And I just wanted you know, talk to your previous comments about humor. And I spend pretty much every morning, four hours at a time, training people. And I obviously treat it like a Broadway performance because I'm trying to keep everyone's attention. And humor is so key. And I believe that people learn while they're laughing and having fun. So I, I agree with that 100%. We have to bring humor into these meetings. But to talk about, you know, for the data situation, I believe this is probably the biggest crisis that we face in Africa. And so many companies that I, that I deal with say that the, they were quite happy to go digital and work from home. But how were they going to give everyone data? So I've heard stories of people rushing around buying laptops, even call centers, you know, like MTN, Vodacom, people with big call centers were buying laptops for their staff and giving them, you know, 3G dongles so that they could access the internet at home. But for me, it's a crying shame, the cost that we pay for data in this country. Mm. I mean, I mean, if you, as soon as you travel overseas, you know, you're just walking around with your tablet or your phone. Every Starbucks you walk into has got free Wi-Fi. Every airport, every train station, every tube that you're on. And I think that that's what we need to realize in Africa. What's holding us back is the fact that you can learn so much from the Internet. But to learn from the Internet, you need data. So that's why I love what Deb was talking about, about giraffe and then being zero rated sites so they don't use data. 
I think that's phenomenal, and we need more of that. So I think we need to start applying pressure to the, you know, the data providers. We need to start seeing prices coming down for data services, because honestly, it's the only way we're going to keep up with the rest of the world during the time of a global pandemic where we're all isolated in our own homes. Yeah. I think as well for, for organizations, it's not just about zero rating your app or your website or whatever, um, or getting all your employees' data. I think as well, if, if you're in the training space, um, you know, it's, it's go mobile first. I'm always mortified when I log on to a website because I do everything from my phone. I'm like that typical, um, what do they call us? Those people between millennials and Gen Xers. They call us like Xennials or something. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm like a 16-year-old girl with my, I do everything on my iPhone. I write, I wrote my whole book from my phone. I, I do everything. Um, and, and when I get onto a website and it's like, you think, you know, be on a, on a mobile device. Um, please switch to laptop. And I'm like, why? Um, and especially in Africa, everyone has a mobile phone. Mm. Um, and the thing, so the thing that's holding them back isn't access to a mobile phone. It's access to the internet. Yeah. So we need to bridge that divide and we need to make things mobile first. So mobile friendly, optimized for mobile. And companies really need to, you know, like Vanessa is saying, come to the party a little bit here as well in terms of, you know, make your, your, your learning, um, make it available for free. Um, give as long as your benefits as you know give people access to the training that they want to do mm. uh, for anyone who's listening to this you know you want to learn skills there's so many free places that you can go LinkedIn Learning or Lindo.com is really really great um, and there's a couple of others as well you know where you can really and like Vanessa was saying get onto YouTube there's a ton of stuff that you can learn for free um, get onto Khan Academy and um, that's also for free but again the content is free, but it still costs data. So until we bring that into perspective, you know, and, and get it under control, we're going to keep on having these challenges. And also just further to that point, digital literacy is also a big problem because um, people need to understand what is real, what is fake, like fake news and how they can just steal your mm. democracy. People need to understand how to be responsible digital citizens and how, for example, recruiters are going to come and look and um, how you conduct yourself on your social media channels. If you don't set your privacy settings properly, they're going to see everything about your life. And if you're swearing like a crazy person and acting, acting like a psychopath or um, just going to the lowest common denominator, making fun of every single person, not being respectful of diversity, those kind of things are going to come and snap back at you. So... Um, it's, it's, it's a double dilemma, if I, if I might add to that. I think the message in, in terms of employer brand, I mean, uh, employee branding, branding yourself. Um, I know that she's very passionate about maintaining, you know, and, and kind of doing a bit of a social media audit almost, you know, go and look and go and, go and ask yourself if the, if the photographs on Facebook really reflect. And it's not about presenting someone that you're not to employers, but it's, you know, I think we all grow and evolve over time and you have to go and ask yourself whether your social media presence reflects who you are, mm. you know. And I think you've also got to understand that I'm at a point in my career, so is Vanessa, so are you, where I can go to all my meetings in jeans and ballet flats. I don't have to wear a suit anymore, you know. I think I could probably get away with going to meetings even more casual because people are going to listen to what I have to say. And I can maybe get away with being very vocal about my very liberal political beliefs. But when I was 22, maybe that wouldn't have been the best thing for me. 
it would have potentially been a career-limiting move. Mm. You know, so I think we've also got to understand, unfortunately, the world isn't fair and everyone isn't on equal footing. And they, unfortunately, there is different rules for different age categories and different groups of people. Absolutely. So I just want to touch on that as I stand here in my third bedroom in four ways in a pair of shorts, a t-shirt and a pair of slops. And that's how I've <laughs> conducted every meeting and online training that, I, that I've done today. But just to touch on, on that, and uh, Carmen, I want to touch on something that you spoke about, you know, locking down your privacy settings. What's becoming weird these days is when people do lock down those privacy settings. So it's not something that I ever tell people to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not an advocate of it. And the, the reason behind it is that people's first reactions, and this comes from really experienced recruiter sources, talent acquisition specialists, is that what is this person hiding? What is this person doing that is so bad that you, we can't see it on social media? And this talks to being able to bring your whole self to work. And from a company perspective, it, it talks to finding people that fit a company culture. So if there's lots of photographs of friends and, you know, the family and they're having a bra or they're having a drink on a Friday, there's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. That's, that's socially acceptable these days. So what I mm. want to encourage people to do is that I don't need to tell you how to behave on the internet. The internet's been around for 25 years. We know we shouldn't be swearing. We know we shouldn't be talking about extreme views. That's common knowledge. It still blows my mind the way some people think that they can behave and think that everyone's going to forget about it. Mm. Because what people don't realize is that whatever you post on the internet, you can find it. Even if you delete your Facebook account, I can find it. Yeah. And this is, this is what I, what really, really horrifies me. I would rather just be a good person, be a good human being and post what I want on these platforms. Because again, that's me. I'm just being who I am. I'm being human. And on Wednesday this week, I'm actually presenting at a woman in tech group and I posted on LinkedIn last week and I said, what would you think would be really important in a presentation to these ladies about their personal branding? What would you include? And the thing that came up so strongly, it was like a resounding kind of um, answer was to be honest and authentic. And if that is shining through, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. You know, you are being yourself and that self is not going to fit into every organization, but you are going to find your place. Yeah, I would like to challenge you a little bit on that one. So if you look at Mark Zuckerberg, he's got his privacy settings on. If you look at a lot of high influencers, they have privacy settings. So they would have a public figure Facebook page and then they would have their private one. And the private one is where you don't get access and it's not open to the public. I myself, when I started working with John Flismas, um, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to put privacy settings on. This is getting too much. Like you're just getting a lot of traffic from everywhere and you kind of need to protect your own personal life and you don't want everybody just to have access to you. You know, you need to protect a little bit of your sanity in this life. And, and, and I mean, I know a lot of international famous people that, for example, put their privacy settings on doesn't mean that they're up to something. It's just you protecting yourself from the world out there where that's your space where it's your friends and the people that you know. So, Carmen, I completely agree, but those people are famous. They are international, almost I'm like superstars. I would be doing the same. It's just, especially from like a recruiter and a sourcing perspective, is you're trying to form a relationship with human beings. So I would rather control what I put out there, and I'm completely you know, aware of protecting yourself, and I don't definitely don't share everything on these social platforms, but I share enough in order for me to stand out as a thought leader in the space that I'm trying to stand out in, which is the sourcing world. 
And for me, by doing that, it actually opens the door for other people to share. And I cannot tell you how good that is for bringing in business, bringing in connections. I started my business in April 2019. I'm still yet to cold call for business. And I think it's because a lot of the information that I share and I put out on social platforms that almost works like a magnet to companies who are looking to learn more. And I can be the facilitator that helps them to take their teams to the next level. So maybe it depends on what kind of like an industry you're working in or or what you're trying to achieve by your socials. Totally agree. I think my advice, if you're a job seeker and you're listening to this, you know, and, and you don't have a public persona like the two of us do. I mean, I have a public Facebook page and, and I have the one for my friends, you know, where I post the pictures of my kids. Again, nothing dodgy, but it's the pictures of my kids and the dogs and, you know, and my life. But that's not, that's my friends get to see that. And, and you know, if you can access that stuff, great. I've got nothing to hide. But as you say, Carmen, you want to protect yourself a little bit as well and you want to keep something for yourself. If you're a job seeker, I think the rule of thumb is be yourself, be authentic, be who you are, but understand that no one wants to see the boudoir photo shoot that you did for your partner when you were going through a rough patch. No one wants to see that on Facebook. It's great. It's great that you looked fabulous and very sexy in those pictures, unless your personal brand is one that is, you know, sexualized to an extent. So in terms of LinkedIn... Be authentic, share things, add value, repost things that add value to the community. The reason why myself and Vanessa are here, let's be honest, is because of our social media presence. You found me because of social media. And myself and Van met because of social media. So it's very powerful in terms of finding your tribe and finding the right people to do business with. But it's also super you if you don't use it correctly. Yeah, I, I'm still yeah. I'm still not sold on this one because like <laughs> in terms of social media, so you can still clone like there's so much cyber crime happening at the moment. It's unbelievable. There's so many reasons why people it doesn't mean that they're doing anything dodgy. They're just maybe educated yeah. and more digital savvy and know what comes with protecting. Obviously on LinkedIn, you can be a thought leader. Um you get also people that that's on LinkedIn that behave like some of the things they post, um, I attacked a guy like literally over the weekend by posting fake news. I've just had it. And I just, I show, I literally gave him a step-by-step how to go and look for fake news. But when you see him doing things like that, I would never do business with a person like that. So, so it all depends on what platforms, but I do think that people that are on the job market still have a right to protect their social media platforms. Absolutely. And I completely agree. And it's, it's a very personal topic and it always causes much debate when I talk about it in my training and all of those things. It's kind of just like if there's something that I don't want other people to know I want to keep to myself, I'm not going to post it anyway. You know, um, so Deb, I admire you for running to Facebook, uh, you know, a personal profile and your business profile, all of those things. But I'm really not prepared to double my workload by trying to keep up to date and posting on two different platforms on the same platform or two different instances, should I say. I'd rather just not post stuff or I'd rather Mm. post stuff that's that's not going to put me in a negative light. And I I don't know, it it seems to be managing it quite well um, at at the moment. So, yeah, it's it's a very personal thing, I must admit. So there's no right and wrong way. I think you've got to find what works for you. Yeah, totally. Let's just quickly, before we, we close off, let's just go into 
personal branding, what is the one-on-one things that we need to do in order for us to build personal brands effectively, especially if you're in the job market? So you definitely got to get busier and you've got to get busier on LinkedIn. I'm not talking about your other platforms now because every recruiter and their dog is literally on LinkedIn. It's like their playground. It's like Christmas every day. So as soon as you start standing out on LinkedIn by, you know, doing posts and your own content always performs better than shared posts by sharing someone else's article. But if that's the only thing that you've got, then go for it. I always encourage people get posting three or four times a day. Remember to leave 24 hours between your posts because you don't want to be confusing the LinkedIn algorithm, which is a, a complex beast in itself. But just get active. You want to be standing out, you know, connect with recruiters who specialize in your space. You know, it, it's so many different things that, that you could be doing, like even just looking at your profile. Be critical. Have you filled everything in? Have you added all of your latest certifications? How many recommendations do you have on your LinkedIn profile? You know, is your um, profile photo still relevant or is it from 20 kilograms ago? You know, all of these things <laughs> play a part. So, so what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that you are putting your best foot forward. And a lot of people don't bother to take the time to do that because it takes effort and it takes hard work. But if you're on the job market, it's a full-time job looking for a job. And, and I really believe that people don't take it seriously mm. enough. And then by the time they want to take it seriously, they're in that slump, they're depressed because they can't find work, money's becoming an issue, and then actually the SH1T has hit the fan. So <laughs> personal branding is something that is has to be a work in progress the whole way through your work career. So start now because tomorrow you will be a day behind already. That's so true. Yeah. I think also just self-awareness, you know, so from a personal branding perspective, especially for younger people, you know, when, when I'm explaining this concept to them is I, I always say to them, you know, it's, it's what is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm. So it's very important for you. If, if you are brilliant at data analysis, if that's your jam, then that stuff needs to come through, whether it's LinkedIn or wherever it is, you need to be about that stuff. You shouldn't hide it away. You know, if you are more kind of quiet and conservative, that's also okay. I'm not saying you need to become a different person. So have that self-awareness um, and go and find, like Vanessa says, post your own content, repost interesting content that shows recruiters and employers that you're staying up to date with trends and news in your industry. But then also go and join these amazing networking groups on LinkedIn, you know, that you can go and join. I mean, the HR community, there's, literally hundreds of different sub-communities that you can belong to. And it's the same in the tech community. So it's, it's about networking, and networking isn't like it was in the 80s where you need to go to a conference in a different city. You can literally now search for specific people, and the wonder of social media is that you have access. Even if you can't find Vanessa's mobile number necessarily because you don't know what plugin to use, because that can be done, by oh, the way. Oh, Carmen. it's just on just my LinkedIn profile, you. just putting it out there. Because I've got nothing to yeah. hide. <laughs> right, you can't get my mobile number. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's important that job seekers know this. So recruiters have got ways and means. But even if they can't find your mobile number, if you want to reach out to someone, you can direct message them. Just don't be creepy, you know? And don't just direct message someone out of the blue and ask for a job. You need to kind of build relationships <laughs> yeah. and and become recognized. 
No, totally. I mean, you know, I personally believe um, in, in registering your name as a domain, having a page where everybody can find you. And even if you have blogs and share your opinions, I believe on LinkedIn is, is to really be engaging whether you agree or disagree. Say what you think. Say what you really think. That's what Cindy Gallup always says. It's like, whatever's on your mind, don't think twice. Just say what you really, really, really think. And end it with your um, URL to say www.carmenmurray.com. Therefore, when you are commenting, people can go and see what you're all about. And by constantly engaging, and this is for our audience as well, if you engage and you, you really immerse yourself in the space, and especially I love the ideas that you ladies are mentioning the groups because those groups are life-changing when you start really participating in the conversations that's happening within these groups. Exactly. Yep. So Vanessa and I, just, yeah, just for a little bit of context, Vanessa and I met and got to know each other through one of those groups, the, the Global Disrupt HR community. I think if it weren't for that, we might not have stumbled upon each other. And, oh, I would have found you, And that's you, how you find your tribe. I would have found you. Yeah, I suppose. I'm, I'm a ginger, though. It's not like I can hide, you know. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm just under six foot. I can't hide either. Oh, that's so funny. Listen, ladies, I've had such a blast with you. I wish we could speak forever. But um, we're going to catch up soon at the Job Reset Fest. But it was really so much fun chatting about everything um everything is so so relevant in the time that we live in it was also so good to have a healthy debate around some of these things like privacy settings but anyway um <laughs> vanessa and i are probably gonna have to like um have that wine hey well that's that's and our Deborah, meeting over wine yeah we're gonna thresh this out and deborah's <laughs> gonna I'll run need, the poll. to moderate yeah you're gonna have to moderate no, i have to moderate we'll run a live no. poll <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, ladies, thank you so much um, for this wonderful time. Bye now. Bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.